Christmas 2020 is over, 2021, a few days away, everyone's excited about 2021, right? Yeah, you liars, none of you guys are excited about 2020, you're all thinking, I have a feeling it's going to be just like 2020, I don't know if I want to go. Is there any way we could stop and not go forward? Um, Let me just... uh, I don't. Want to stop. I feel kind of bad, but I feel like I need to start this way. I don't want to feel. I don't want to sound like I'm starting on a downer, but I'm going to. Um, no, seriously, I'm. I'm a little concerned. I'll be totally honest with you, because our our uh, country is more than ever. We have seen our country become a real mess, and maybe we don't feel it as much here in the Toledo area, but we're going to. It's it's gonna be this way. I don't care who the president is, because each of the gentlemen who are vying for it, they're, they're both going to bring certain things to the table that's going to impact our communities, that's going to impact people in our world, in our lives. And what I see happening, and again, the Bible tells us this is going to happen, that as we move forward, as we go forward into 2021, 22, 23, 24, 25, as we move forward, things are only going to get worse, culturally speaking. And, and I don't know what news organizations you guys follow, and, and to even bring that up, it's almost like bringing up politics. You know, you have your, your network news, and, and they have a bias, and you have what we'll call more conservative news, they have a bias. And I would just, let me just say this. I would encourage you to take in both. If you're a news person, please take in both. Because what's going to happen is there's still going to be stuff happening and you want to get a balanced view. Boy, that sounded... There's a news organization, I think, that uses that word. Um, but my point is this. There are things coming down the pike. There are, there are pressures on our politicians coming from organizations that if you're a follower of Christ, it's going to dramatically impact you. It's going to impact us as a church. I know of one organization that's already um, asking if, if uh, Biden becomes president, um, they're already asking him to make sure he investigates and goes after evangelical churches because it is the, the core of white supremacy. And this is the thought that people have. And we had a lot of evangelicals, you know, they usually go towards Republicans in the most sense, and there's been a bunch that have been very vocal for Trump, and so that's added to the whole thing. My point is this, the longer we go along as a country, the more and more we're going to become more like the day in which Jesus lived and the disciples lived. A world torn apart by division, race, politics, gender, social, economic position, you know, you name it, they had it. Christians were being persecuted. A lot of it was just based on rumor and false information. And we as Christians, we're going to be facing that. And we call ourselves Christians, which a Christian means Christ one. It means one who follows Christ. We're a disciple, a lot of different words for it. And so we follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who, by the way, didn't rise above, you know, people have said, well, he, he rose above the culture of his day. No, Jesus didn't rise above anything. He literally wrecked culture. 
He was born to wreck culture. Christmas is really a celebration of God putting on flesh and wrecking the barriers that culture and all that will put up between him and us. And so Jesus came to wreck that. We're going to look at a passage in which he wrecks four cultural issues of race, gender, social standing, and religion. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. It's page 1061 if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And uh, as I am, as I normally do, I catch you up to speed as to what's going on. Because here's a, an important thing, that everything you read in the Bible has a context. There's something that happened before it, and there's something that happens after it that kind of helps us understand what's going on. And this passage is, like every other passage, one of those. So John chapter 3, anybody know John chapter 3? What's the big story in John chapter 3? What's that? Nicodemus. And what do you say, Mark? God slew the world. Oh, you didn't even put it up. That was good because, yeah, so John 3.16, right? So Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I have eternal life? A religious leader asking, how do I have eternal life? So Jesus talks to him for a while, but John 3.16, we, you know, we don't see it now anymore, but back in the day, you know, it was at all the football games and basketball games, there was a guy had a, you know, had a multicolored afro. It was kind of a, I think it was rainbow or something. And he threw John 3.16, you know, it's pretty cool. Anyways, but it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, the baby of Christmas, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In other words, shall not have an eternity in hell, but have eternal life, have eternity in heaven. Jesus came for the whoever. And in John 4, he's going to tell us the extent of the forever, or the whoever. He's going to let us know, if you're wondering who is the whoever, the whoever is pretty broad and it impacts a lot of different people and certainly people who are maybe hurting more than we might. Culturally speaking, the lady that Jesus is going to talk to here is one that most everybody in her community wanted nothing to do with. And yet Jesus shows up and has a pretty interesting conversation with her. So I'm going to read all 26 verses. I'm going to try to do it like in a really excited way so you guys stay awake because it is 26 verses. I might even go into like an English accent, you know, because everybody loves English accents, right? You can say, hey, God loves you. And I'm so, oh, what the pastor said was so beautiful. And then I say, God loves you. Like, is he angry at me? I don't <laughs> Anyways, but we'll try to, we'll try to make this 26 verses go by and you'll be like, oh, beautiful. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, just FYI on this, I should explain this to the 9 o'clock service. Basically what's happening here is Jesus is doing all this stuff, and the Pharisees are getting kind of worked up. Now they're finding out he's even, he's even worse than John. You know, so, but it's not time for Jesus to, to be arrested and go to the cross yet, so he's going he's gonna to bail you know, he's going to move out, get out of the area. And uh, 
And he's not baptizing because that was his job of the disciples to do that. And there's some people who are thinking, well, if Jesus is baptizing people, people would be like, well, I was baptized by Jesus. You know, and then there'd be this whole hierarchy thing. So his disciples were doing it. So he, he left Judea. He's in the southern Israel. And he went away again to Galilee. So he's going to go all the way up to the north of Israel. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. It's something we're going to talk about. So he came to, the, to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, I mean, so John's writing kind of like, like we should be going, oh yeah, 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 Jacob's well. You remember that? We were just over there the other day. Um, anyway. There is coffee. If you guys need to wake up, that was, a, that was pretty funny. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so it was about 12 noon Jewish time. So there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So here's Jesus by himself, his disciples heading into town. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's some there's some hints here about what different um, cultural things Jesus is wrecking. So Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're no greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water in this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She's not quite getting what he's saying, but she likes the idea of not having to, to walk a half a mile and a half a mile back, over a mile to get water. She's thinking, this might be a good deal for me if I can get this living water. He said to her, well, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. Can you imagine her saying it? All of a sudden she's like, you know, who are you and how did you know I had five husbands? Yikes! And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. I appreciate your honesty. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So we're not sure if she's changing the topic here or if she's really interested in religion, but she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, he was pointing to the the, the mountain, Mount Gerizim that the, the Samaritans worshipped at. And so, so neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. In other words, your, your religion is wrong. We worship what we know. The religion right now is, if I can do this right, for salvation is from the Jews. So now Jesus is talking about himself Humanly speaking, he's Jewish, and so salvation for the world is going to come through the Jews, through Jesus Christ. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, 
The Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, or Savior. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Mic drop. We're going to talk about the rest of the story towards the end quickly. There's a lot in these verses, and we're not going to cover a lot of it. <laughs> okay? So if you have questions about this, feel free to ask me. We're going to look at the four cultural barriers that Jesus wrecks in order to bring to this lady the gift of Christmas, the, the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ. And then we're going to talk about, at the end, how does that impact our lives today? So did anybody catch the first cultural barrier? What? Not being Jew. Not being Jew. So race. We'll generalize it. Right. So the, the first cultural barrier that Jesus breaks is that of, of race. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews saw themselves as God's people. We're the righteous ones. We're the special ones. Samaritans were Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles, with non-Jews. And these are the offspring. They weren't special. They went outside of our race and our religion. And so there was no love between these people. In fact, it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, this map here, this is what a, this is what a self-respecting Jew would do if he wanted to go from Judea to Galilee or Galilee to Judea. He would head up, so Judea is in the south. He would head over, off to the east, cross over the Jordan, go up the east side, cross back west to Galilee and vice versa. They would not go through the Samaritan area. Because they did not want to interact, touch, see, talk to, have any kind of interaction with these rejected people. But Jesus, that's the, it's actually green, going with Christmas colors here, but it's hard to see. Jesus, he heads right into the heart of Samaria to a town called Sychar. Jesus chose to do this. Jesus was intentional about doing this. Jesus is saying, listen, I've come to bring eternal life to whoever, including the most rejected group of people in this world. One, Samaritans. Secondly, a woman. And not just any woman. See, here's the deal, and this, this fact is being lost within our culture, and we as Christians, we're going to have to catch this and understand this and be able to maybe even defend this. Christianity, Jesus Christ, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only religion that elevates women to equals with men. 
It's actually the only religion, by the way, too, that ended slavery. But if you ask anybody in this world about who is it that treats women badly, it's supposedly Christians. But Jesus elevated women. The church elevated women. Women were considered property. They were basically slaves. Men could do whatever they wanted with their wives. One reason why this lady had five husbands, which we'll talk about in a bit. But get the picture. Jesus has been talking to hundreds and thousands of people so far. Why not continue on into town where there's probably hundreds and thousands of people and tell them the message that he came to save them? Why stop at a well that's a half a mile out of town to interact with this lady who's getting water at noon? Because he wants all of us to understand who the whoever is. Who is it? What's the extent of those that we should be sharing Christ was? And so he uses a request for physical water to introduce this, this living water. And what he's talking about there is this is this spiritual water. And this lady evidently knew the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, this living water had this idea of eternal life, ongoing life, water that would allow us to have life eternal. We don't think much about water today, right? Water comes to us. We can just walk outside and grab the, you know, we got coffee over there, which, by the way, feel free to grab some more if you're falling asleep. You know, there's some water over there, and there's a drinking fountain over here. We got water coming out of our ears in some cases. Back then, water was life. They would, they would find a well, and then they would build a town around it. And if that well dried up, the town dried up. Everybody left to find another well. They'd also find a well outside in the fields so that they would be able to water their animals. Water was everything. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I've got the water, the spiritual water, the living water, that if you take this from me, you'll never thirst again. And of course, he's talking about the spiritual level. So Jesus isn't done yet. So he says to the lady, hey, go get your husband. And as we read, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. You, you've had five husbands. That meant, that meant that there have been five guys that she committed her life to who have rejected her to the point that they have divorced her. They've sent her out. Rejected. Gone. So what's she doing? Well, she's getting together with this other guy who's evidently not wanting to marry her. Some read into that that she's probably a prostitute. So here's Jesus. God purposely making a trip into Samaria like no other Jew would do to a well a half mile out of town. There's a reason why she's at a half mile out of town. At noon, to meet with a lady who more than likely is a prostitute. She's an outcast. She's been rejected. She's a half mile out of town. I mean, she has to walk a half mile, get the bucket of water, carry it a half mile back to town in the heat of the day, noon. 
Why? Because none of the other women who are at the well in town want her there. She's going to get away from all their stares and all their comments and all their thoughts. And she's just going to, I'm just going to bail and I'm going to go all the way out. Mile round trip. She's a social outcast that has been rejected by everybody in her town, but she's not being rejected by Jesus. He sticks around. He continues to talk to her. And like I said, we don't know, scholars have kind of looked at this, we don't know if she's just changing the subject, because after all, you know, who wants to talk to a guy who knows that you've been married five times, you've never met the guy in your life, but he knows you've been married five times, and the guy you're currently living with is not your husband, you know. And yet Jesus stays and talks to her. You know, that's not what God desires for marriage, for instance. You know, he wants husband and wife together, and yet he sticks around. She wants to change the subject, maybe. She maybe is really interested in, in religion. She seems to know some things about religion. And so she says, hey, since you know so much about me, you've got to be a prophet. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you a question about religion. If that's not going to change the subject, I don't know what will. So she says, hey, is, uh, are you guys right when you're worshiping there in Jerusalem, or are we right when we're worshiping in Gerizim? Now, the thing about this is that Israel, the Jews, they, they follow the entire Old Testament. And so back in the day, the worship center moved from Gerizim to Jerusalem when the temple was built. And so Jerusalem, Jews followed and went to the temple. And in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God was. It's just how God had it set up. And so if people wanted to worship God, they would have to go to the temple. The Samaritans, they believe the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first five books of the Old Testament says that Mount Gerizim is where the worship is to happen. So that's why they built a temple on Mount Gerizim. But in 200 BC, the Jews went up there and destroyed it. So now, <laughs> that's why there's so much hatred over and above their race. The Jews took out their temple. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, soon there's going to come a time where it's not about the building you're in. It's not about the temple you're in. Because he, he's, he's talking about himself. Because when he dies on the cross and then rises again, he gives us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. And the Bible tells us that when our sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit, God and the Holy Spirit, resides in us. We become the temple. And so Jesus is saying, it's, it's not about, I mean, technically, yes, you know, worship in Jerusalem is where you're supposed to be, but not, it's not going to be that way moving forward, because Jesus is going to make a change. And so he says, the true worshipers worship God in spirit and truth. If you really want to be a worshiper of our God, if you really want to know that you have a relationship with God, we're not going to get into a whole bunch of religious discussion here. We're going to focus in on what you need to do, and that is you need to worship God from your heart. Spirit, your heart, your inner person, who you are, at the core of who you are. And then that, your inner core, your spirit, is then energized and empowered by God the Holy Spirit, who gives us the ability to worship well. 
And as you guys think about coming to, to, and being a part of church and worshiping with your church family, I hope that as you come in, you're ask, asking God, God, just fill me with your Holy Spirit, empower me with your Holy Spirit to worship you well, to be able to focus on the words that we're singing and listen to the message that Harold's trying to get across. Because Jesus said the Father is seeking worshipers. God wants people to worship him. He wants to be in relationship with them. But there's a way that happens, and it happens with our spirit, and it happens with truth. It happens from inside, the spiritual being of who God has made us. And it's in truth. Truth comes from God's word. So our worship not only has to be something that's that he empowers us to do through our spirit, through that relationship with him, but it has to be based on scripture because that's what's truth. And so what is the, what's one of the big truths of scripture? What Jesus is trying to get across, salvation is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. The Christmas gift is Jesus Christ dying on a cross. It's the baby born to be sacrificed, as we sang in that last song. That's one of the big truths. So worship of God has to come through Jesus Christ, not through anything else, but through Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that now that there's, there's no need for a temple, that our bodies are not the temple because God's Spirit lives in us, we become the temple. It's, a, it's an incredible concept. So as we walk through life, we're a walking temple. We're a walking worship center. So as we live life, our worship of God is doing life God's way. And then as people see us do life God's way, they're introduced to who God is. Not that we're God, but we show him what kind of God we worship. That's why it's so important in our lives to know what, how God wants us to live and to live that way because when we live in disobedience, those who see us and say, oh, that's a Christian and we're not doing like God's way, they're going to get a wrong view, an untrue view of who God is. And so our worship is with our spirit, with our lives, through faith in Christ, and then we show that truth to others through how we live. Before we close out with some takeaways, if, you, if, you, if this is your first time uh, with us, we do takeaways. There's always one or two, maybe three things that we're going to take away from this. What, how do we apply this to our lives? But before we do this, let me just finish up the story real quick. I'm just going to summarize it. So if you read on, starting in verse 27 and 42, the disciples return and they're shocked because Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman who's probably a prostitute. Whoa! That is, that's a barrier maybe too big for them to jump over. The woman, who was an outcast, it says, goes back into the town to tell the men that she found the Savior, the Messiah. And then they're like, what? And so then they go out with her. They encourage Jesus to stay a couple more days. And it says, a bunch of people from the town placed their faith in Christ. It says that they, they said to him, we, we now know that you are the Savior of the world. That word know there means research. They researched it. They studied it. They, they knew what Scripture had taught about what the Messiah was going to be. And, and, and then they see what Jesus has been doing, what Jesus is teaching. And they're like, we know that you are the Savior of the world. So Jesus intentionally wrecks this barrier of cultural issues 
to have a conversation with a lady who is an outcast who then, because she meets Jesus, doesn't care anymore that she's an outcast and she goes and tells the very men that she's been with and a bunch of other people that she found her savior. And they see the difference and they're like, I want some of that. I want that relationship. I want to know the savior. So what do we do with that? Well, if you're here this morning and you don't have that certainty of a relationship with God, if Maybe, you're, maybe you somehow or another identify with this woman at the well in a sense that maybe you've been rejected or maybe you think God's rejecting you because of your life or the choices that you've made in your life. And I, you know, I don't know. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I just didn't realize that a relationship with God was even possible anymore. Listen, a relationship with God is always possible until the moment you take your last breath. And all it is is to understand who Jesus is. That this baby that was born at Christmas, he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, not for anything he did, but for everything we've done. He took our eternal death on himself. And he could do that because he's God. He's infinitely powerful, but he's also man. So he can be our representative. And he dies on the cross, and then he rises from the dead, which is, defeats sin and death. He defeats our sin. He defeats its power over us on this earth. He defeats its power over us for eternity. And we get to spend eternity with him because God the Holy Spirit is now in us. And if you've been attending for any period of time, you've heard me explain this numerous times. Sometimes I offer to pray with people. Um, today I'm not going to do that. If you know you need that relationship, if you know you need to let God forgive you of your sin and establish a relationship where you're worshiping him in spirit and truth, then what I would encourage you to do is, is that connect card. That on the blue side of the spot that I, I received Christ today or I have questions about it, mark that and throw that in the bucket and, and I'll get that, I'll see that. And, I, and I'll even make contact with you because I want you to know for sure that you have that relationship that Jesus Christ is talking about. Make 2021 a, a year of a new life, a new purpose, new certainty. Putting the old to the, to the, to the past to, and, and looking to the future. And Okay, God, how do we do it now? What do, what do we need to do to move forward in a life that represents you well. And let him even heal up all this stuff. Because he can do that. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as you do, let me talk to you who have already placed your faith in Christ. Let me challenge you with this. In 2021, be praying, ask God to help you understand who is it in your life that maybe you've rejected. Or maybe somebody in your life who they think you've rejected them. And make that person or that, pe that group of people the ones that you're going to focus in, just like what Jesus did. Jesus was intentional. He did this for, on purpose. You begin to operate on purpose. Praying for that person or those people, beginning to 
interact with them a little bit, you know, on, on where they're at and what they've got going on in their lives, and, and just say, God, help me to do what Jesus did and draw this person or these people to you for salvation. Let's make 2021 that looks like it could be maybe not any better than 2020. Let's make 2021 a year where we see people come to Christ. I think I bypassed the numbers, didn't I? Did I talk about the 153 people who came and the three people who accepted Christ? Yeah, I did it first service. I didn't. So let me just end with this. Do you have it? Can you get back to it? I, I completely flipped right past this. It's kind of weird. So our Christmas um, numbers, three people came to Christ. Three people whose lives have been transformed from a life that was going to be eternity in hell to a life that's eternity in heaven. That's awesome. It's only three. Yeah, awesome. We got to be a part and be used by God to see people come to Christ. We had 153 individual attenders. We had some people who came more than once. So our numbers were you know, 180 something, but 153 came at least once. And I know several of them need to know who Christ is. And Lord willing, they'll come back. But let's, like I said, let's make 2021 the year that God uses us to wreck the culture, wreck the barriers between us and others who need Christ in our lives. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the opportunity to look at John 4. And I pray, Father, that as, as each of us are thinking of people right now that we're um, <laughs> scared to, to think about, I pray that you would just embolden us and give us opportunities, just work up opportunities for us to be able to reconnect and share the love of Christ. Lord, I pray that 2021 would be an awesome year, that we'd see you do some great things in and through us. Thank you for the honor being used in Christ's name. Amen.